What's good, everybody? Welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. What do we talk about on this show? What else? Investing in cannabis. Every Thursday, we have a very special guest for you, either an early stage founder or an investor, a VC, an angel, somebody that wants to help fund the revolution. And we want to hear from you. If you were nice enough to tune in and you learned something, hit us back on Twitter, at CannabisPod. You can also find us in the iTunes store under Investing in Cannabis Podcast. And do us a favor, leave a review. Today on the program, we're very lucky to have Doug Layton, founder of Duchess Capital. He founded Duchess over 20 years ago. They've done 400 plus deals, mainly in the biomedical space. And a few years ago, he decided, hey, I want to make cannabis investments. It's a fascinating conversation about how he approached his partners in the fund about making those cannabis investments, how he found his first deal mass routes through the Arcview Group, and most importantly, why are cannabis companies getting these crazy valuations? It's a fascinating episode. Doug's a brilliant dude. Stick around. Listen up. Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. We're very lucky to have on the show Doug Layton, founder of Duchess Capital. Very experienced uh, VC, 20 years in the game, and uh, recently decided he wants to segment a portion of his fund to cannabis. Uh, So welcome, Doug. How are you? Uh, Very well. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. So you founded Duchess in what year? In uh, 1995. In 95. And looks like you guys had a number of investments, like 400 deals you've done so far or something like that. Yeah, we've done uh, over 400 investments in five countries, uh, the transactional value uh, north of $2 billion. Got it. Wow. Um, anything really significant that, that everybody would have heard of? Uh, probably not. A lot of, uh, a lot of biotech, a lot of uh, uh, oil and gas, um, prophase probably because they're a, a consumer facing product. Um, they make the, the uh, cough drop, but other than that, probably not. Got it. So you go from sort of traditional venture and biomedical and very serious topics like that to uh, how do you go to your partners one day and say, Hey, I think we should start investing in cannabis. How does that conversation go down? Uh, it was a, uh, a, a pretty funny conversation. Uh, <laughs> a couple of times we passed around uh, the investment committee and uh, we first uh, brought it up in 2011, and it was quickly shot down. Uh, and then again, when it passed in the state of Massachusetts, the amendment to uh, allow medical cannabis in the state of Mass, um, I brought it back uh, to the to my partners and to the investment committee. And you know, we said, let's start researching it. Um, it wasn't for ten more months of research before we made our first investment, um, but it was a uh, it was a long 10 months. And in that 10 months, do you decide to segment uh, a certain percentage of the fund or you just say, we'll invest in cool things as they come along? How's the strategy work there? Uh, so the, the original strategy was to um, invest in the plant itself and invest in you know the cultivation and dispensaries. And as we learn more and more about it, um, and we learn more of the regulations and in the different states, uh, we then... Um, Took a different approach when we met, you know, ended up meeting our first uh, investment, uh, which was Mass Roots. Hmm. And how'd you find Mass Roots? How'd you come about that? Uh, we had joined uh, Arcview uh, in uh, August of 13, and we went to their uh, 
I think it was their third uh, conference, which I believe there was 59 people there. Uh-huh. Now over 400 and change uh, investors that go to the, those meetings. And we, uh, they, Masters got up and, and pitched. And when he got up, it was introduced, he was introduced uh, as one of Peter Thiel's 20 under 20. And I didn't even hear the pitch. I spent the entire time Googling uh, if that was true and if I could find anything else about the CEO, Isaac. And uh, I came across a uh, interview um, that uh, he was interviewed uh, about Peter Thiel's uh, program. And the, the following one in the same interview series on CNBC was an interview with Mark Zuckerberg when he had just surpassed hundred thousand users. And I thought that was pretty fortuitous. Hmm. Um, so when he got off the stage, I grabbed him and uh, went and grabbed a cup of coffee and, and, you know, he told me about the investment. Hmm. Fantastic. Um, yeah, no, I've heard Isaac is a super dynamic guy. Um, I guess uh, the question that I have is there's so many social networks in the world, right? I mean, there's social networks for bodybuilding and for cat herders and everything you can name. I mean, why, why does cannabis, um, why is that a good subject for a social network? So the, the first, before we get to that, the, what would intrigue me about Isaac was when I met him, he was 21 years old and he reminded me very much, um, of either an Elon Musk or a Mark Zuckerberg, the way his vision um, was already talking about something that was three, five, seven years down the road. Um, and that's what got me interested in the, the, the product. And I really didn't fully understand it at the time. Um, but what I, what I think makes cannabis social network so attractive is that the cannabis users are a very tight knit community, um, much like say drinkers are a very tight knit community. Um, they like to be together. They like to find other um, people that enjoy cannabis. They like to talk about it. And then in the other circles that they're not in there, they're always sort of looking for, you know, in a crowd of people of, hey, who could be the cannabis smoker here? So I thought it was a very unique value proposition uh, to be able to bring cannabis users together, even if it was just anonymously. Mm. Yeah. You felt so strongly that you decided to write a little piece on on the thesis of why why you invested. What what prompted that? Do you do you write often? Yeah, we do. Uh, we definitely we do internal uh, thesis on uh, every company that we invest in, and um, we generally keep it internal. But we made that public because there's such a lack of industry knowledge in the cannabis space um, that we made it public so that people could understand why we did it. Yeah, totally. Walk me through uh, the rest of the thesis briefly, besides it being a, a tight knit community. Sure. So, you know, Google, Facebook, Bing, uh, Twitter, all the, the major search engines and social networks do not allow any sort of uh, tobacco advertising. And they so they certainly don't allow cannabis advertising. So Isaac's concept was once we build the user base, we will then have a very uh, niche social network that is very heavily concentrated of just cannabis users that will be able to charge a premium to advertisers. Um, and after researching that and finding out that they do not, that other networks not allow um, cannabis posts, there seemed to be a very um, important need for that in the marketplace. And I don't, I still don't, two years 
later, I still don't believe that any of well, one will allow cannabis advertising because they still don't even allow tobacco advertising, which is legal and has been for years. So, that, yeah, I mean, I think that's a really common theme, right? Like I've talked to a number of founders um, in the Bay Area and it's this huge challenge because anytime you start a tech business, uh, growth is so tremendous and none of the traditional growth channels are allowed, right? No SEO, no SEM, no Twitter ads, no Facebook ads. Uh, I did just read that Apple is finally allowing uh, or, or entertaining uh, cannabis apps to be submitted to the Apple store, um, which is exciting. Um, but, but yeah, certainly that's a serious need and, uh, a problem that I hope to solve as well as part of this program is, is maybe, uh, get some, some non-traditional advertisers that are, are looking for a cannabis outlet. Yeah, absolutely. And the, um, you know, the, the whole Apple, um, reason that they're allowing cannabis apps is because of mass roots mass mm. roots uh, was kicked out of the Apple store, uh, actually on election day in uh, November of 14, <clears throat> they fought them for, for four months um, through a grassroots campaign of their users. And Apple received 25,000 emails um, requesting that they should be allowed back in the app store, um, you know, in the states where it's legal. So Masters, you know, paved the way to get uh, a lot of other apps in the app store. So Apple does read those emails. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> um Cool. Well, I guess that begs the question then if Apple is starting to loosen their policies a little bit, uh, what what happens when Twitter or Facebook or Google decides that cannabis advertising is okay? How does that affect mass roots? So I don't, I, my first answer is I don't believe that will happen um, because they don't, still don't allow tobacco ads. So you can have a tobacco app in your store. You can have an e-cig that's connected to um, that's tobacco related app to control your e-cig, but they don't allow tobacco advertising, um, in any of those major platforms. So if it did happen, um, let's say that it happened, you know, in a year there would, the, I think the network <clears throat> is so strong between, um, the users in mass roots that I still think a, a cannabis centric only, uh, app is worth more per user than say someone that's on Instagram. And the reason for that is on Instagram, um, you may follow, you know, a couple of restaurants, a couple of your friends, funny cat pictures on Insta on mass roots. It's only one thing. It's only cannabis users. So you have a very dedicated audience in which to, um, have access. Those advertisers can have access to them. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think another part of your thesis that I read was was surrounding data of cannabis users. Can you talk about uh, why that's so important? Sure. So to date, uh, Massroots has had 140 million hashtags. Mm -hmm. So in those hashtags, and I can give you an example. Let's say that I travel from Boston, Mass to Colorado. I land and I go camping for the week. And before I go, I, I get by stopping at the store. And I buy uh, a bunch of different items and I go camping. I then hashtag um, enjoying Colorado, hashtag camping, hashtag smoking blue dream, hashtag smoking out of a rollable, hashtag hiking. <laughs> they now, when I come back to Boston, um, they now have data that I like blue dream. So they can tell my local dispensary because it's all location-based. They know I like camping and hiking. They can sell that data to REI, EMS, 
Coleman. They know that I like the outdoors, so they can sell me products like that. Just like Facebook has the algorithm that if you like this, then usually you like that. Um, and because it's location-based, next time I go to Colorado, it knows where I bought my Blue Dream from. And I can either buy it when I'm in Colorado or when I'm in, I go to Washington, I'm in a legal state. It knows that this is what I smoke. And then the dispensary can push something out to me um, versus where Weed Maps is simply a Google overlay of, um, of a map where you actually find the dispensary with mass roots, the dispensaries and the product companies can find the user. And that's very important. Mm -hmm. um, even though it's anonymous. Correct. Yeah. Uh, I wonder, this begs the, the big brother question of how anonymous that data actually is. Uh, someone that signs up for a cannabis social network uh, may very much like the fact that it's anonymous. And I wonder if those, whoever's, whoever's accepting that data, it truly is anonymous. So you, well, because, because of the way you sign up, you don't enter anything except your username. Um, they don't know who you are and you have, uh, uh you can choose to shut, to turn your location based off. Mm -hmm. Um, so that way at least there's no location. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, any other notes on Masters? I think I think it's fantastic. I, I think there's a reason that you've seen all the all the buzz and and Peter Thiel and Isaac is so dynamic. Any other things for for the future that gets you really excited about it? It's it's really the access to um, the, the the big data piece of it, and you know they they just acquired a stake in Flow Hub, which is a seed to sale um, uh, program, and Isaac likes to call it seed to conversation. So. In the future, when this is they're fully integrated, which should be over the next couple of months, they'll be able to track a plant from the actual sapling, the seed the sapling when they put the RFID tag on it, all the way through to the actual conversation on mass roots. And that's a very powerful tool for product companies, for um, dispensaries, any sort of analytics and data on it. Um, the, the big data play in mass roots is far bigger than their advertising potential. Um, and that is what I believe is going to drive industry, um, standards and industry data in the future will be mass roots because since they were the first and are the largest, they have the most amount of data. Got it. Are there, are there other cannabis social networks, other people trying? There, there are a few that the, the next closest one is, uh, has maybe 8,000 users. Uh, Massroots has 375,000. They're adding a couple of thousand a day um, on a very limited advertising budget. Um, so they're, uh, you know, the, the, I, I, my guess is they should be at about a million users uh, by year end. Yeah. And, and where's their growth coming from? I mean, how do they advertise? Uh, they really don't. Um, it's all been it's all been viral and, and word of mouth. Um, right now, they they use their capital uh, to to fix the app, get get it operational, um, get the office space, uh, get you know all the things in place that they have to do. And then once uh, that's done, which is just about done now, they're then going to start out and uh, and begin advertising. Hmm. Got it. Got it. Um... Cool. So the way that you found Mass Roots is through ArcView. And I think a lot of people are familiar with the name, but um, why don't you just explain a little bit what it means to be a part of the ArcView Investor Network? Sure. So the ArcView is an angel group um, that, that meets every six to eight weeks or so um, in different locations in the country. And comp cannabis companies apply 
for a uh, spot to speak in front of these 400 and plus investors. And um, they get seven minutes on stage. Uh, and then there's a question and answer period. And for, for us, um, it's been a tremendous networking uh, way to meet, you know, cannabis industry leaders, meet other investors, um, and sort of, uh, we've done a lot of co-investing. I, I believe there are $45 million total invested from all the um, people that have invested in the companies. Um, and it's, uh, you know, they, they continue to grow every single event. There's more and more members. So it's been, it's been a fantastic way to, to access companies because in most industries, you have a banking system that's involved. And bankers will generally call their high net worth individuals and say, you know, this is a private placement we have. Since no, there are no real bankers in the space, there's no way to access these deals. Um, they're starting to come into the space, but for the most part, uh, ArcView was the first one there um, with the angel group concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that concept has been around for for a long time. I've, I've attended open angel forums and things like that, but um, the kind of specific niche ones are, are popping up in cannabis, I guess is no exception. It's really, it's pretty awesome. Uh, they have one of the events starting today in Denver, correct? That is correct. This is actually the first one I've missed. Oh, what happened? Why didn't, why didn't you go out there? Uh, I'm on Nantucket for the summer and I made the executive decision not to leave. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, sounds good. Sounds good. Um, cool. So one of the other really things that you're working on is this MIT Innovation Lab partnership. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, sure, I can talk a little bit about it. Uh, so we we met some folks um, at uh, that were had gone through the MIT program, and they we went to them with a um, an email device and asked them, you know, why is this email so large? Why is it so difficult to operate? Um, and you know, it was about the size of maybe the half the size of a car battery, about twelve pounds. We brought it to them for about four months. And they were able to uh, shrink the device um, to the size of maybe half of an iPhone 5. Um, and uh, we're still going through beta testing, so it's still too early to, to say whether it works or not. But when it's done, it's going to be pretty uh, pretty spectacular. Wow. Yeah. Um, this is the... Uh the rollable that, that I saw or, or no, no, this is, this is a, I don't, that, there's no, we haven't circulated any uh, CAD drawings or any pictures of it okay. yet. This is the, this is an email. Um, but we also own a company called rollable and that's the, uh, it's a portable indestructible foldable water pipe, um, that was designed by a gentleman, uh, in the Midwest. And, uh, he came to us for some capital and, and, uh, after talking to him realized that he didn't really want to run the company anymore. And, um, wanted us just to buy it outright. So we bought it outright and it's been a uh, smashing success. <laughs> Pun intended, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and what is it, what is it made out of? What, what material is it? It's medical grade uh, silicone. Um, and it's uh, made, everything's made here in the U S uh, and it's uh, completely safe to, to uh, use to medicate. Uh, and it's a great device for, you know, a supplement to any other piece that you have. It's not your main Piece, but it's great for camping and traveling and you can uh, take it anywhere with you. And when you're done with it, put it in the dishwasher and it cleans up. 
Yeah, I mean, it's very cool from a technology standpoint. I just wonder what the actual market is like for that, because there's so many mobile solutions today. Um, you know, the the kind of disposable oil pens and any kind of wax setup. Uh, did you think about that when you when you were talking about uh, getting involved? Yeah, absolutely. There. So this is just this is a uh, a water pipe for flour. It also has a dabbing attachment to it, mm-hmm. um, and it is you know it's designed to be. Uh, used on the go, and you know, different uh, cannabis consumers have a different way that they like to consume in different locations. So, you know, maybe a pen might be great for a concert or you know, break from work or something. Um, you generally use a water pipe if you're at home, um, but there was no solution to, to have a water pipe on the go, and we sort of saw this solution, you know, in our entire portfolio as you know, a lower end device with a lower price point. Um, we have a very high end device and we have some devices in the middle. Hmm. Cool. Um, so yeah, we've talked about a couple of your investments. How many cannabis pitches are you hearing? How many are you, do you consider investing? I mean, how, how big is, is this market right now? Uh, we see about, um, I would say it's 10 a day. So 50 a week. Um, and a lot of it is me too products. Um, I've seen 50 delivery service, um, copying, you know, the Uber concept. Yep. Um, but the, the market for new ideas is exploding every week. And there's a lot of fantastic ideas out there and a lot of companies that, um, have already launched and maybe they're in their first year. Um, but their, their sales are fantastic and they're, Getting, you know, there's some growing pains they're having in a good way. And when you say you see 10 a day, you meet with 10 founders a day? No, we see uh, uh, 10 deals. People send, you know, pitch decks over. Um, we review it, send it around our investment committee. And then, uh, I mean, I spend the majority of my time on the phone with founders uh, going through business plans and concepts and ideas. And Got it. And what percentage of those make it through to a meeting, would you say? probably 10%. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, and for, for potential founders listening, what, what sort of qualities in a founder or, or what sort of attributes in a company you're looking for? Are you looking at more ancillary things? I mean, you, you mentioned the delivery thing is a little oversaturated, but uh, is there something that you'd like to be seen, uh, built in the world? Uh, yes, but I'm not going to announce it here because I'm going to do it myself. Um, Got it. Got it. <laughs> Um, so no, I mean, anything and everything, um, we're looking at, um, you know, the, any market that is, um, not vertically integrated, meaning that there's wholesalers, um, and you can grow your own and then sell it into a dispensary. We're not looking at, that's just going to be, end up as a commoditized play with very low prices. Um, and any market that has, um, you know, that is vertically integrated, meaning you have to grow and you can only sell your own. That's really where we're looking because uh, we believe that will be the uh, the safest market to be in over the next, you know, five to seven years. Mm-hmm. And on the ancillary product side, um, you know, we're looking at B2B products and B2C products, uh, specifically consumption devices. Um, but there are other things around um, consumption devices that uh, are a fit. Um, so anything to do with the process, um, either the consumer doing it or the actual business operator that needs help with that. 
Got it. Um, how about valuations? I mean, in in the in the tech world right now, startups are having some pretty insane valuations, particularly if they grew through Y Combinator. Are you seeing that in cannabis? Is it is it inflated? It, yes, it's very inflated, overinflated, and actually, you know, everyone use uses our statistic on uh, the size of the market where we think the market will go. Um, I always see it in the first pitch deck when people tell me how large the market is. I don't. I don't need to know that. I already know how large. <laughs> yeah. um, but they're viewing that as a reason to get a higher multiple in the space of cannabis. There are so many risks, um, either perceived risks or actual risks, that these companies should be getting a lower valuation um, because there's so many issues. And, and some of the issues are. Uh, merchant processors change their mind on a daily basis. Um, web hosting companies change their mind on a daily basis. Um, and then, and that this, and I'm all talking about companies that don't touch the plant. Yep. Um, so there's a tremendous amount of risk involved in any of these transactions. Um, now, granted, it's a growing market, so you sort of have to weigh that against it. Um, but it, but valuations are really out of control. Uh, what's helping that? is that there's not a tremendous amount of people still investing in the space. A lot of people looking, a lot of people talking, um, but no one is actually writing checks. Um, so, you know, if we miss out on a deal, generally we see it 30 days later, 60 days later at a more reasonable valuation. Yeah, I've heard that, that there's a lot of people looking, not many people writing checks. What, what do you think needs to change to get uh, more serious investors involved? Uh, one of three things, time, um, and there needs to be more, uh, if say nothing changes just over time, people will naturally, uh, get on board. Number two, if they change the banking laws and they allow companies to accept credit cards and they openly allow companies to accept, um, credit, uh, deposit cash, um, and or credit cards or the rescheduling of the drug. Now one, if it reschedules, that will fix the banking. If they don't reschedule it, um, but they fix the banking that will still help dramatically. Um, and once that happens, everyone will come into the space because everyone is still too afraid to do it. Um, and when that happens, that will probably be the partial exit for us. Oh, I see. Got it. Um, cool. Well, thank you so much, Doug Layton, for, for being on the, on the program, founder of Duchess Capital. And uh, anything you want to leave people with, thanks again for, for being on. Sure. Uh, I mean, looking, you know, do your own due diligence. Look into the space. There's a lot of great opportunities out there. Um, and uh, if you're an entrepreneur, make sure you have all your uh, ducks in a row before you send out a presentation and uh, reach out to us if you're looking to raise capital. Awesome. Thanks so much, Doug. Great. Thank you.